Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 345 The Last Stand Watch your front, Lieutenant Swar roared at his men as they manned the battlements when the crazed townspeople rushed the walls again. The Imperial defenders had grown accustomed to the thundersticks of the strange soldiers who came from the skies after fighting together for two days. Swar placed slowly behind his men as they fought against another wave of crazies that kept throwing themselves against the stone walls of the citadel. He was quite intrigued by the ritual that turned the entire city's population into mindless creatures, reduced to the basic most desires yet still retained enough intelligence to use weapons and even the simple tactics amongst themselves. The constant attacks were irritating, thought Swar. He wondered who was the mastermind behind all of these and what their final objective was. After ensuring that there were no issues with the troops, he walked down the walls, ignoring the stairs and fugitives' avoidance of him as he passed them. Hundreds of makeshift tents and shelters covered the small courtyard and gardens, turning this once beautiful landscape and showcased the wealth of the city into a refugee shelter. Over the past few days, hundreds of unaffected citizens in the city somehow managed to find their way to the citadel. Lady Titania allowed them in as long as they weren't affected by the madness. Hundreds soon turned to thousands, and there were a few incidents where the crazies had slipped in amongst the seeking refuge. Luckily, not much damage was done, yet dozens were killed in sudden violence. Titania had quickly organized the civilians putting in survivor adventurers or city guard to hold amongst the refugees. While any volunteers were sent to night Captain Judas, she even placed the political enemies to handle the food stalls, making Swar shake his head. He couldn't understand what politics was all about. It was up to him. He would have issued a challenge to his enemies and defeated them in open combat as they were of Orkins. But even after adapting to the human's way of life and getting a commission with the marines, there were still many things that befuddled his mind at the way that these softskins did things. Still, it was not his place to judge. He was only here to carry out his orders and keep his men and the softskin Rothschild girl alive. Till then, he would just keep his best talent, which was waging war. Capital of Bluewood, the palace. My emperor! Rows of ministers stood respectful before the emperor reported. News of the Black Scorpion Legion has returned. They, um, they were defeated by an unknown force in the south together with local forces. Emperor Varrican frowned. The Scorpion King was defeated in combat. Yes, my emperor. The minister who made the report stopped forward and kneeled down. After he had conquered the major cities in the Twin Alliance, he moved his force to the south to suppress the local uprising, which had already defeated the local army. But we just received urgent word that all forces were defeated on the field. The minister kept his head down low. Impossible! Emperor Varrican roared as he slapped the table before him. He has the bronze men as support. Who has the power to defeat him? My emperor, if I may... Another minister stepped forward and bowed. It might be that group of rebels from the south. Them? The Emperor Varrican rubbed his chin. The ones with the Duke's stern failed to destroy. Yes, my Emperor. The other minister said. They may hold some legacy of the guards to defeat both Duke Sturm and the Scorpion King. 
We can no longer belittle their abilities. If they are using their legacy to expand their powers, we must not hold back and throw everything we can at them. And if we could take their legacy into our hands... Emperor Varrigan nodded as he unsaid words. Very good. Then hear my words. Send forth the Imperial Army. Crush them once and for all and take that legacy of the gods from their hands. The ministers all kneeled and kowtowed. Your wish is our command. Orwell's Point River docks. Dozens of local shipwrights, haven engineers, and techs worked non-stop, modifying the Imperial barges captured from the previous invasion fleet, turning them into a sort of amphibious vessel. The oil trenches were removed and given more internal space, while under the decks were strengthened, allowing for the heavy-wheeled and tracked vehicles of the UN Marines to be driven into the lower decks. The forward square of the bow of the barges was cut out and turned into a droppable ramp for rapid vehicle deployments. At the rear, a couple of screw propellers were installed with two banks of Haven Heavy Industries Quad Dragonite engines that powered the shafts. Engine tech in Haven had taken off as a rapid pace as the city's reliance on engines grew more and more. Dozens of goblins in work coveralls shrieked at their own mad language, banging away happily at the screws and nuts the engines as they did the installation of the engines under the eyes of the horrified locals. Modifying the barges took a week, despite the work went on non-stop without stopping. Four of the barges that once carried Imperial troops now were docked proudly with a new coat of naval grey paint with the white and black stencils of LCV-124 neatly painted on their sides. The landing craft vehicle's personnel forward converted ramps were deployed and chain-linked to the tops, which worked as a pulley to close the ramps. He waiting the crew impatiently as dozens of vehicles and troops boarded the ships. James Bone, formerly a lowly UNMM corporal, now holding the lofty rank of Marine Captain, commanding officer of the 1st Battalion, stood at the side with his aides watching the boarding of his men into their four barges. He never thought in his life that he would make his way up the ranks so fast, as an officer, no less. Is that crap seaworthy? James asked offhandedly as he watched one of the CSRM carrier's tracked wheels wind loudly as it tried to find purchase on the slick surface of the ramps. Finally, the driver managed to control the half-track and it rolled on board, causing the barge to sink down slightly. Yes, sir, his aide answered him. The engineers ensure us that they are able to carry all the weight. Really hope so, James replied. How long before everyone is loaded up and we can move out? Another hour at least, sir, his aide said. we still got two companies yet to embark. Hurry them up, James said. It's going to take roughly twenty hours to reach Norsalm. They had planned to use the river to travel directly to the city instead of crossing over land and traveling by the inland sea as it would make logistics easier. As the advance party consisting of PT boats had gone ahead to clear the river of wrecks and the imperial barges that were sunk in the battle to prevent any mishap from happening to their own ships. We have already spent a week here sitting on our thumbs, and it's time to save our people if there is any of them left to save. Norsalm, Rothschild Estate. Mills banged on the table. When is rescue force coming? It's been over a week already, Mills gestured out to the windows. We waited so long and now the damn crazies have come knocking at our doors and we still have people in the city. Hundreds of figures could be seen trying to force their way into the ornate fences of the gate of the estate in the distance. Calm down, Lieutenant Trissom said for the umpteenth time. The vile storm over the city has grown stronger and stronger, making us lose all forms of communication with the city and everyone else. We barely could send helos to resupply the citadel. 
but now we can't even send them in without experiencing heavy turbulence and risk crashing them, Vols grumbled. His eyes were bloodshot with the lack of sleep and guilt was gnawing away at him for being unable to save his people trapped inside. Mills, Tristan put his hand on his shoulder. Get some rest and stop thinking about this. Help will come. It's no use for you nor us if you break down at this point. Bowles buried his hands into his face. I can't sleep. I keep seeing those faces. Tristan sighed and he held up his palm faced and placed it over Mills' head before reciting a spell. Sleep. Mills' head dropped onto the table and he fell into a magical slumber and Tristan sighed again before he pushed open the door and called for sentries to bring Mills into his own bunk to rest. He returned to the window and frowned at the crazies that were attempting to overrun the fences and wondered if they had been abandoned by the UN. He had sent a couple of teams to attempt to communicate with Orwell's point, but they had yet returned with any news, and for once, he felt naked with the flow of information. He wondered what was happening in the city, and if there was anyone left to rescue at this rate. He glanced up at the warp storm hovering above his head and stared suspiciously, wondering if it had grown larger. Norsham Underground Palace More! Oh, more! Groans and groans came from a tangled mess of the massive bed. Hedone smiled as she finished this male slumped over her, planting kisses all over her naked body. Her power was slowly recovering as more and more faith was flowing into her. The worship given to her by the new converts were giving back her once lost powers, strengthening her divinity once more. Soon, with more time, she would take over this entire land. Her worshippers would adore her and only her. It would only be a matter of time before she recovers enough for her divinity to influence the weak world creatures of this world, and once she has enough faith, she can take over this world as a sole goddess. She still remembers many eons ago, when she and the pantheon of gods fled from that world where they lost much of their followers from fighting with other gods. Those that remained behind were destroyed, their cause turned into stardust. Yet... This world they found after many, many ages of traveling through the cosmos had their own pantheon of gods that did not take well to newcomers to compete with them. A war was fought and many fell on both sides and, uh, in the end, both sides lost all their strength and could only hide or retreat into the solitude to recover their powers slowly. Luckily, the natives of this world had the same basic desires as her original world, City creatures were easily persuaded by charms and promises, making her the goddess easily. It hasn't taken her many cycles before she could manifest enough of her power to form her core and place it into a vessel of her choice. But the creatures of this world could not withstand her power. She was a divine being of this world, making her having to change new vessels every few years after vessel was burnt out. By the gods' luck and fortune must have been listening to her, a being from her original world was found, as long as she converts him to be her follower, she could have the everlasting body to remain in this plane. Once that happens, nothing could stop her from spreading her influence throughout this world when she walks in this plane. She eyed the tied-up human on the pillar and smiled bewitchingly at him, who blushed and looked away. <laughs> spread the word, Hedoni giggled in happiness. We must spread happiness to everyone everywhere. Tell everyone to give in to their desires. Make love, not war. Share the wealth of food. <laughs> the mistress rewards. End of chapter. Chapter 346. Iron Might.
A sharp beam of white light cut through the thick fog and reveals the moorings of the pier before the LCBP. A whistle blew from the crew and the coxswain reversed its engines, slowing the approach to the barge. The coxswain carefully steered away from the pier and instead aimed a little filled banks on the shore, letting the bottom of the barge scrape across the rocks before stopping the engines. He yelled at the crew at the bow to hit the release and the chains holding the forward ramp went loose, dropping the reinforced camp down to a loud crang. Instantly, a long whistle blew and the holes of the two columns of marines charged out. They ran forward and spread out in a defensive line, while vehicles rumbled and rolled off one by one onto the rocky shore. Another LCBP grounded itself nearby and with the ramp down, marines quickly disembarked while teams of porters unloaded supplies once the beachhead was secure. Captain James stood on the top deck of the LCBP-02 next to the makeshift 50-cull turret surrounded by sandbags. The sun was barely up and the thick fog covering most of the landscape while the skies were covered in a dark and gloomy clouds. The city walls could be seen in a short distance as they had reached barely a kilometer away from the riverbanks. The nearby houses, fishing huts and wharves laid abandoned and marines could be seen cleared of houses one by one. What is causing that? James asked Magister Thorne as he joined him on the gun wall. James pointed at the dark clouds glowing purple-red from the rising sun rays. Hmm? Magister Thorne rubbed his chin as he narrowed his eyes in the unnatural phenomenon. I'm not too sure, but it looks like some kind of magic array. I need to go into it to study its effects before I can be certain of what it is and even how to dispel it. Magister Thorne nodded to himself. I can't even tell from here. Ap, James cursed. Magister, you know that there is not an option for you. It's too dangerous, and then we don't know how the magic will affect you either. I know, I know, Magister Thorne smiled at James. I will be careful, and if you want to destroy whatever that is, I need to be inside. I get it, James frowned. I'll assign you a platoon to keep watch over you. Thank you, Captain James, Magister Thorne replied. I got Liz here to help me too. She shouldn't be a problem for us. All right, be careful, James replied. That storm is making our radios unable to work, so better be safe than sorry. Magister Thorne nodded and gestured to the girl next to him. Come, Liz, let's go see what's making that cloud. I can find it drawing the land's magic, Liz said as she slung her large satchel of arcane components. It's using the land's magic to sustain itself even now. Wonderful deduction, Magister Thorne grinned cheerfully. You surely are a number one graduate from the school of magic. Liz blushed. But Magister, what kind of spell could do such a large-scale effect that turns people crazy? Magister Thorne paused for a while before he said in a serious manner, Vile magic. To cause something like this, a price of equal value must be paid in exchange. You mean... Liz's eyes went wide. Live sacrifices. Yes, replied the Magister Thorne, and not just one or two. For a spell this large, you probably need hundreds. Sir... A youngish marine with the rank of second lieutenant approached the two. My platoon has been tasked to escort you two into the perimeter of the city. Whenever you are ready, sir. I think we are good to go, Magister Thor nodded, and they followed the marine towards the row of vehicles. When they climbed into the vehicles, the small convoy rolled out into the city. It took them barely ten minutes to cover a short distance before the walls of the city loomed before them. Strangely enough, there wasn't a single soul in sight as the marines exited their vehicles before the main gate of the city. Where are the local imperial troops? One of the marines asked nervously as they watched their surroundings, thought they were supposed to be holding the gates and walls. Stay sharp, one of the sergeants commanded. Keep your mouth shut and eyes open. 
Magister called the lieutenant. What are your orders? Thorn frowned as he looked around the gate and city walls, seeing them empty and quiet. Flags and banners hung limp on the poles, and there weren't any sounds typical to a city, not even any bird worms around either. We take a quick look of the danger we run back, Thorn finally decided. Lieutenant nodded and called out for one squad to check out the area. Sarge Lenz, get your section to rack the gate. Sergeant nodded and gestured to his men, and seven of them advanced up rapidly to where the weapons at the ready. The rest of the platoon kept their guard up as they watched their own disappear into the shadows of the gates. Minutes slowly ticked away as the lieutenant wanted to send out another section. Thunderous gunfire echoed out from the gatehouse. Contact! The marines quickly readied themselves. Even Magister Thorn and Liz held their staffs out in preparation to cast their spells. Rifle fire lit up the gloomy gates as the section entered the gates retreated in good order. In a perfect textbook retreat, half the section provided covering fire and the other half sprinted back several meters before they stopped and knelt and provided fire for the rest. Soon, the entire section of the gates where Sergeant gave command, all of them turned and sprinted towards the line of vehicles. Behind them, dozens and dozens of figures swirled out of the city gates screaming as they chased after the retreating marines. Get clear, the lieutenant yelled as the retreating marines who quickly sped off to the side, seeing the gestures. Machine gunners, fire! Four jeeps and two trucks mounted 50 caliber machine guns opened up on the short order. Bright, fiery traces tore through the mass of rushing crazies as they exited the gates. Liz dropped her staff in shock and covered her ears, half screaming as the thunderous roar of the 50 cal guns nearly burst her eardrums. Matched the thorn, seeing Liz in pain, quickly shoved a pair of earplugs into her hands. I forgot to tell you to wear the earplugs. After stuffing the earplugs in, Liz felt better, but there was a whining noise in her ears that made her unable to hear clearly. My ears. Seeing Liz was fine, Matched the thorn turned his attention back to the gates, seeing the powerful human weapons making short work of the rushing horde. Crazed hordes sensing or fearing the might of those weapons faltered and soon there were barely any appearing from the gates, but the marines could still hear the screams and cries coming from behind the walls. I think we found what remained of the imperial garrison here, the lieutenant said as he placed a helm onto the bonnet of the jeep where Magister Thorn was tending to Liz's ears. Most of those bodies or whatever that remained were mostly imperial armor, so I'm guessing they turned too. Magister Thorn frowned at the bloodstained helmet before he turned and looked at the skies above the city. Hmm. I need to send word back to command about this. The lieutenant had a worried look in his face. If the other gates are opened and unguarded like this, I'm afraid that these, um, people might escape into the countryside, and it can cause problems for unsuspecting people. I think the cloud restricts the movement of the turned people. Thorn suddenly said, Look, the gates are open, but none of them have left, and the storm clouds only covered till the city walls. But to be safe, Thorn said, cover the city exits. Those people might lose their reasoning, but they still can feel fear. Our weapons make them fear us. The lieutenant nodded before he turned to his aide and started issuing orders. Liz asked curiously, Magister, how do you know that? Thorn smiled and pointed at the clouds. If the turned people could leave the city, why haven't we seen them along the way? They hide in the city, out of the sun, under the cover of clouds. But of course, it's all guesswork for now, Thorn said. I haven't experienced nor read of such an event from happening. This is why it's so exciting, Thorn grinned at Liz, furrowed her eyebrows. Oh, I mean, it's a tragedy. Magister, 
The lieutenant appeared from Thorn quickly turned his attention to the soldier to cover up his awkwardness. I have sent the team back to report about our situation here, but for now, I do not think it is safe to enter the city. My men will dig in here to prevent any further breakouts from the city while we wait for instructions to come. Of course, of course, matched the thought replied. I will take a look around the walls with my assistant here to see if we can find a way to do something about the ominous-looking cloud. I understand, sir. The officer nodded, and before he left added, I'll send my men to escort you while you look around, but do not approach the gates. Um, let's go look at the magic array up close. UNS Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Commander Ford took a sip of locally brewed tea before he said to the captain, Sir, don't you think that's his overkill? Blake snorted as he leaned forward in his chair. I think we made a mistake in sending a small contingent out. I wanted to hurry up and end the senseless war with the Empire, Blake continued. I was hoping that we can create a sort of agreement with the girl Titania. If successful, we could broker some peace treaty with her through channels. But now, Ford asked with a raised eyebrow, you are sending an invasion force. Not an invasion force, Blake closed his eyes. It's an extermination force. Is it too heavy-handed, Ford asked. After all, it's an entire city of people. X people. If they can be saved, we save them, Blake pointed out. But at this point, I'd rather kill off an entire city than let their people die for nothing. We need to find a way to, um, deal with these guards and demons and stuff, Ford sighed. Too bad we don't have a nuke on board. Wait, can a nuke kill a god? Hell if I know, damn cultists and gods, said Blake. I am not that particularly religious on earth, and even after migrating to Hempra Prime, now I am wishing we had a god that is totally on our side. That's what I was wishing too, Ford grinned. Wish we had our own god to look after us. I'm serious, Blake leaned forward. I am wondering how we can pull a god to our side. Well, we could ask around, Ford said. Do you have some religious humans and elves around? There are even some temples, shrines, and churches in the city, you know. Seriously, I don't, Blake gave an awkward grin. I have never interfered with the civil side of the city. Mostly it's Shireen and the city council doing the work. Ford shook his head. Well, you should actually look more into the city planning. I know you're busy with other stuff, but keep yourself updated at least. <laughs> okay, my fault, Blake replied. Now, we need to see if we can find a god to help us, most preferably a god that isn't into sacrifices. End of chapter. Chapter 347 Escape from Norshelm Outskirts of Norshelm Lynx crept silently forward through the thick underbrush and gently parted the thick, spiny branches to peek at the strange happenings that were going on outside the city. He, his little sister, and the other children had run away from the orphanage when suddenly the skies turned red and stormy and the adults started going crazy and even attacking him and his sister. He was terrified as he saw people, once caring for and friendly, turn against each other, tearing their clothes and flesh of each other in a mad frenzy. The other children of the orphanage followed along, and the children used their own secret route which they played daily in the city, managed to avoid the sudden violence that was happening throughout the city. There was even an incident while they were escaping when one of their own suddenly went mad, and leapt onto the back of one of the girls and started tearing at her clothes and biting her neck like some kind of monster. The older boys managed to pry the crazed boy away and had to restrain him as he tried to attack the rest like a giggling, muttering, some sort of nonsense about a mistress that would reward. Frightened out of their wits, Lynx did the only thing he could. 
He picked up a bit of wood and knocked out the foaming boy on the head, and everyone ran out of the city. For the past several days, they'd hid outside the city walls, finding shelter in the ruined hut that once belonged to the forester or hunter. They forged wild fruits and berries and even scavenged from the nearby villages, which the owners had abandoned after news of the pandemic in the city spread to the countryside. Lynx, with 14 years old, was the oldest of the group of 20 children, the youngest being the 8 years old. He had to step up and lead the rest of the children out of danger and survive out here away from all the craziness. Woken by one of the children acting as lookout, Lynx followed the tiny boy that they crawled through the spiny bushes and peered upon the army with strange metal carriages. He watched the carriages line up in a row and clearly soldiers came out of them, dressed in a strange mottled color clothing and armor. He saw a small group enter the gates and a thunderous roars could be heard, and suddenly the entire line of strange metal carriages erupted in thunder and flames, shocking them both. The boy beside him yelled in terror and peed his pants in fright as the sudden eye-searing flames and sudden loud roars. Lynx quickly cupped his palms over his mouth to prevent the boy from making more noise. He ignored the stench of the wetness coming from the boy and quickly pulled the frightened boy back. Go back to the camp, he hissed. Tell everyone to pack up and be ready to run, just in case, but wait for my return. The frightened boy, with tears warming in his eyes, nodded rapidly and shot off into the undergrowth like a little horned rabbit, while Lynx crawled back to observe the group of soldiers with their terrifying spells. The more he watched, the more surprise and excitement he felt. As he watched, the soldier majors cut down the hordes of terrifying change people that flowed out of the city gates. He knew how scary and dangerous those people were as he witnessed the proud imperial soldiers fighting against them. And one by one they fell, and in the end, most of the imperial soldiers became one of those things. Lynx debated whether he should approach those soldiers. He was not sure where they came from, nor did he recognize the armor and colors. He had never seen a soldier that does not have the bright colors nor shiny armor that these soldiers with the strange metal carriages were clearly not from the Empire. In the end, he decided to return to the camp and ease the fears of the others, and once he did that, he took some fruits and returned to observe the strange soldiers. When he returned, he saw that the soldiers had apparently settled down guarding the exit of the gate. He noticed a small group of soldiers wandering a short distance away from him, and there were two robed figures with them, which he suspected were some nobles or high-ranking mages. After some consideration, Lynx finally decided to approach that group of soldiers. Hopefully, they could save everyone. The most the soldiers could do was sell them to slavery, which was bound for when they were in the orphanage once they turned fifteen. The worst, they could get killed right then and there. No! One of the older girls who followed him to observe the soldiers pulled his arm and crawled forward. It's too dangerous! I have to, Lynx hissed. We have no food and some of the rest are sick. I know, but we don't know if they're good people or not, the girl hissed. It's dangerous! I have to do it, Lynx gently patted the girl's head. If anything happens to me, bring the rest to safety. With that said... He gathered his courage and crawled out of the bushes and walked determinately towards the soldiers. Liz frowned as she tried to make sense of the turbulent energies around her, while Magister Thought was cooing and aahing away at the corner. Suddenly, one of the soldiers snapped his weapon up and yelled, Contact! She turned around in surprise and her staff was ready and to defend herself, and saw unkept boy standing at the forest edge with his hands and approaching them slowly. She quickly cried out, Wait! Don't shoot! The reeds held the fire and yelled at the boy, Halt! 
Hands up. The boy looked frightened and confused, but he stopped where he was and raised his hands uncertainly. Who are you? One of the marines approached the boy warily while the rest of them kept an eye on the surroundings. The marine did a quick frisk of the boy behind as he allowed Magister Thorn and Liz to approach. My, my, my name is Lynx, the boy replied nervously. I, I came from the orphanage in the city. You escaped from the city? Magister Thorn's eyes glowed as he clasped the boy's shoulder happily. Let's do a check on you. Magister, Liz frowned as he pulled the Magister away. Let's the boy rest first. He looks like he's going to fall over. Oh, yes, yes. Magister Thorn coughed to cover his embarrassment. I was too excited. My apologies. It, it's all right. Lynx was used to it, as he had seen some of the nobles that came to the orphanage used to do that to children. Do you have food? Of course. Magister Thorn quickly agreed, unaware of what Lynx had just thought of him. Come, we get some hot food in you and you tell us what happened in the city. I'm, I, I still have some friends. Lynx spoke in an unsure voice. My sister, too. Bring them, Magister Thorn said. We have enough food for all of you. Liz nodded and spoke gently. Don't worry, you're safe now. The boy nodded and he turned towards the forest and took off like a while they waited for him to return. Not long, a party of ragged and sad-looking children appeared from the forest. Liz and the marines quickly led them towards the tents that the marines had set up beforehand. The children huddled together, untrusting and fearful of the strange soldiers. Soon, their attitude softened with hot stew was fed to them. Strange, hmm. Magister Thorn sat next to the children, listening to their accounts of what happened in the city. Hmm, what is it? Liz asked, tapping her staff impatiently as Magister Thorn's way of dragging things out. The children all reported the skies turned red for a moment, and people started to go crazy and attacked each other, Magister Thorn said. But one point seemed strange. They only saw adults going mad, rarely a child, Magister Thorn stated. Does it affect adults more than children? They also said that affected people kept repeating something about a mistress or a queen that rewards. Magister Thorns added, Wait, Liz frowned, a mistress or a queen that rewards? That sounds familiar. Liz suddenly smacked her palm as she realized something. It's her! The witch goddess, Liz growled, at the cultist's house where Evelyn was lured to. It's that witch! Magister Thorn frowned as he heard Liz swear words, but he ignored it. If that's the case, we are dealing with a goddess with the power to seduce and manipulate people's hearts. Could that be why the children are not as affected as the adults, Liz said, since children are more, um, innocent, pure-hearted, but there are some exceptions, I guess. Magister Thorn nodded. This is not good. We need to come out with a way to protect ourselves against her powers. If not, we could easily be converted over to become one of them. Marine Captain James rode on the back of a command jeep and hopped out as it stopped. He walked over to the line of vehicles and was greeted by Magister Thorn. How is everything? Heard you found some survivors. Magister Thorn gestured to the tents and said, Yes, a large group of children. We might have a clue as to who and what is at work here, Magister Thorn said, as he led James over to the tents. Seems like it's the same goddess we encountered in Orwell's Point. The mind-controlling goddess? James asked. Yeah, not exactly mind-controlling, Magister Thorn sighed, but close enough, yes. So we might have some troubles ahead if we don't get prepared sufficiently for it. Are we safe here? James looked around the surroundings. Will we get affected? Magister Thorn gestured to the storm clouds and said, As long as we are not under those clouds, we should be good. But just to be safe, I will place a protection ward around the camp, so that at least we will not be affected in the long run. What do you need? James stopped at the tents. 
I got people making landlines and breachhead to create a communications line back to HQ already. Oh, I need lots of silver, feathers for fur of an owlbear, iron dust. Magister Thorn started stating out what he needed when James put up a hand quickly to stop Thorn from continuing. Got it, James quickly said. Tell it to the operator and command vehicle. He'll arrange what you need. Magister Thorn gave a sheepish smile while he walked off into the vehicle, while James felt several pairs of eyes staring at him. He turned around and saw several heads stuck back into the tent, and he shook his head at the scene. He entered the command tent and quickly got himself to his officers up to date about the ground situation. Locked down the two other gates in the city, the harbor side. We can't really do much about the PT boats. Join us. Send in A Company and B Company to probe the city. If they push their way into the nobles' district and link up with the embassy party there, James ordered as he looked at the crude map of the hand city. If it fails, wait for the PT boats to arrive before pushing by the river with one of the LCVPs to dock with the Rothschild's estate private dock. Sir, what are the ROEs for the men? One of the staff asked. And the SRMs. Rules of engagement are as usual. James's face darkened. Any hostile is to be treated as an enemy. And as for the SRMs, have them on standby, James said as command staff. We'll only use them as a last resort if all else fails. End of chapter. Chapter 348. Out of Space. Marine Captain Jane stood on the top of the earthen berm built around the sprawling camp of the battalion. His eyes glued to a pair of binoculars as he scanned the city in the distance. The camps consisted of several tents now turned into proper base, with ammunition bunkers and even an earthen and sandbag berms at the perimeter defenses. Magister Thorne had spent the next half of the day working with his magic, creating a war to protect over the camp, and with the help of Liz and the other mage-capable marines, they etched protective spells into the helmets of the marines. The camp was barely even a day old, and already scores of fugitives Matt managed to escape from the city and its surrounding villages had approached his camp asking for refuge. Even the nearby fishing villages and farms have its original inhabitants returning, and they even boldly came to the gates to offer trade. It felt surreal, thought James, as he watched a party of fishermen and their wives trying to sell their catch at the gates of the Marines' guards, who were trying to be polite to reject their offers and turning them away. He turned to his aide and asked, What's the situation with Apache and Bronco Company? They entered serious resistance before they reached the 4th Avenue, the aide reported after which the crazies seemed just to be staying out of sight in their advance. James frowned as he looked at the tablet which showed the lines of the advance of both A and B companies. Don't let them push too forward. They might get cut off from the gate if the crazies surround them. He was given a high-priority mission by command. Rescue all UN members, destroy all traces of the technology if possible, and save Titania Rothschild if she's still alive and a direct order given to him by Captain Blake was to destroy all cult members if it meant burning the city down. The river convoyed down to the nobles' private dock had encountered more crazies, and they were clearing them as of an hour ago. The aide continued, Their next report in a while will be half an hour. Also, we have roughly 20-minute communication lag between the river recon forces. James nodded, Update me with any changes and push the refugees back to another kilometer. I don't want them so near us nor the city when the crap comes. Yes, sir, the aide replied and disappeared off to carry out his orders. Cap, Master Sergeant Pike appeared at James's elbow. The SRMs dug in and sighted, just waiting for the word. Thanks, Top, James replied in a respectful manner. 
After all, he used to be under the master sergeant. Bad business we have here. Hell, I still picked this over fighting the damn bugs, Pike replied grumpily. At least you don't see the men and friends getting torn into bits and eaten before your eyes. James ceded the point to Pike. Still, killing civvies, it's a career-ending move. You see any UN senators out here? Pike gestured around the surroundings. Any press? Nope. Frickers trying to kill us, and they already did some of our boys, Pike growled aggressively. So frick em. It's just a fricking target-rich environment. James nodded. Fricking cults. I wonder why the frick there are so many cults out here. I mean, it fricking seemed the whole continent is crawling with them after the damn goblins. Frick divino, Pike took out a rolled-up a smoke leaf and lit it up, taking a long drag of it before he blew out a puff of bluish smoke. Fricking things taste like ass. We are in fricking alien world. How the frick we know how these alien elf frickers think. Just follow your training. Pike took another drag of the smoke leaf cigarette and gave a piece of advice. Who tries to kill us? We just have to kill them first. Hoorah, James said. Hoorah, Pike echoed and continued puffing blue smoke out. Norsalm Underground Palace Hedone had played around with the strange weapons brought back by her followers. She peered into the pipe opening at the strange foreign scent of oil that some sort of blunt medicinal smell. She flipped a strange weapon over and over to settle in her hands over a crossbow-like grips and squeezed the trigger, but nothing happened. If she wondered if some kind of spell was needed to trigger the weapon, or like a crossbow, it needed to be winded back, but she did not see any way to wind it. In the end, she gave up and tossed it to a pile of equipment and gear that was stripped from the strange soldiers. Turning her attention to the half-conscious human tied to the pillar, she was about to wake him up when she noticed one of her lead followers frantically threading his way through the sea of bodies. My queen! Quaim prostrated himself before the goddess. There comes a new enemy army! He looked up and used one hand to point at the tied-up short-eared which the goddess called a human and said, More of his unknown faction! They come with thunder and fire, killing many of our converts! Hedone gracefully spun her body around before sitting down on a throne in a single, smooth motion. She blinked her large, almond-shaped eyes in mock fear. Oh dear, my people, we have to make them see reason. If they kill our people, how can we live free of our shackles? Yes, my queen, that is right. Prime cried out fervently. We must stop them. I shall lead the converts to show them the error of their boring lives. Oh, my brave knights, Hodoni dramatically waved her loose sleeves at Quaim, who puffed up his chest in bravado. If they choose not to join us, we can only release their souls to be free. Quaim quickly retreated and turned to the sea of converts and called out, Come, we must show those people how great our mistress is. The mistress rewards. The sea of bodies cried out in excitement. The corner of Hedoni's mouth quirked as she looked at her Zedis followers, but soon it turned to a small frown. Who are you and how did you come to this world? She asked the tied-up human. Seeing the human not responding to her words, she walked over and ran her stem fingers across his face, making the human moan. Speak! Air Force First Lieutenant Peter Mitch had a long fever-induced dream, dreamt that he was in the cockpit of a space supremacy fighter, Flying the escort to fight the bombers going off in a preemptive strike against the fleet of swarm parasite cruisers and their parasite mothership. He felt that he was riding a roller coaster ride which he had no control over, 
watching his fighter ripple firing as chain guns, popping scores of point-defense acidic spores as the swarm responded to the attack. He watched the bomber after bomber get taken down by the dense clouds of acidic spores, which melted the bomber's armor and cockpits, turning the machines into liquid metal and the pilots into bloody goo. The large squid-like body of the parasite cruiser loomed up before him while he emptied all of his guns and missile pods along its flank, watching balls of fire flaring up briefly before extinguishing in the vacuum just as the acidic spores splash over his cockpit, making him scream. Suddenly, he found himself flying over a sea of blue forest. Squares and squares of tiny figures clashed at the forest edge. He fired off his rockets at the infantry square, filled the tiny blue banners and watched bodies get incinerated by rolling balls of flames. You get them, Gret, boss pilot. He heard Greg carolling from behind as he turned back to smile at Greg, only to see a bloodied, eyeless goblin head still wearing the oversized flight helmet grinning back at him. Great job, Buzz. <laughs> but, but, Buzz Pilot, nuts, nuts to wakey wakey. <sighs> Peter moaned as his eyes opened in shock. Instantly, the world swam before his eyes, and it took him a moment to get his bearings, only to find himself unable to move his arms and legs. As his vision cleared, he saw a female elf standing before him that was so stunningly beautiful that he felt his breath leaving him. Speak. He blinked his eyes wildly, trying to clear his head and tried to move his arms. He saw the beautiful elf reach out and a perfect arm and touch his cheeks, making him feel the tingle of electricity running through his skin, making him moan and strangely aroused. Who are you and how did you come here? Then Elf asked in a soft voice that was pleasant and charming to the ears, Tell me which faction you belong to. I, I, Peter tried to speak, but his throat was too raw and parched from lack of water. He could only hospitably whisper, United Nations of Man Space Command Flight Lieutenant First Class ID 291. One, two, zero, one, nine, Peter, Mitch. The beautiful owl's facial expression changed in a confused frown, which was also charmingly beautiful to Peter's eyes. What? How did you come here? She demanded in a stern tone, making Peter think she sounded pretty cute. Crashed here. Peter replied slowly, pronouncing each word carefully. Crashed? The elf seemed totally confused. How? From, from out of space, Peter replied before he lost consciousness again. Norsehelm, Outer City, 4th Avenue, Apache Company. One minute was all quiet and peaceful. Next minute all howl broke loose as scores and scores of crazy townspeople rushed at them from the alleys, streets and buildings, charging straight for the startled marines of the Apache Country. The 1st Marine Battalion consisted of most veteran Marines, being the first batch to graduate from Camp Alpha, and experienced in fighting several battles and skirmishes against the Empire, responded instantly. The company's officers roared out and firing orders, while the steadfast NCOs ensured that the troops held their lines. Gunfire erupted and cut down the rushing horde like a cutting crane, while the machine gun teams targeted the heaviest clusters of crazies and mowed them down with heavy fire. Further down, another two blocks, Bronco Company experienced the same scenario. Hordes of crazies attempted to overrun the marines, but likewise, they held their line and fought back bravely. As both marine companies thought that they had the upper hand, suddenly, 
smells started raining down onto their positions. Private Lorna, who had been the platoon's fireman, ducked his head down just as an eye-searing bolt of arcane energy blew up the masonry over his head. What the fuck was that? He screamed over the gunfire. Take cover! The sergeant roared and over the din of gunfire. Don't stand in the fucking open like that, fucking new guy. Those marines crouching or proning in the open quickly scattered to cover as magic spells started striking their positions. Cries for medics started down the line as marines started to take damage from the magic attacks. Sarge, how come these crazies still know how to use magic? Lorna asked as he laid back against the ruined wall of the shop house. He roused to a crouch and fired his newly issued M4 battle rifle which looked similar to the M2 carbine, but with a longer barrel, large magazine and a higher rate of fire. The entire Marine 1st Battalion was issued with new weapons weeks ago, and they had trained in it before word came down that they were to be sent here. The new equipment was stated to be issued out to the rest of the Marine Corps in batches, which the 1st Battalion receiving the new toys first. Fark, Sarge, we're pinned down here. We'll need fire support. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed if you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.